Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. You know, tonight uh, we're going to go to something that's extremely familiar to you. If, uh, if there's any two passages of Scripture in the Bible that even the world has a great familiarity with, it is, number one, the Lord's Prayer, and number two, the 23rd Psalm. And, uh, you know, they don't have a realization a lot of times of what that's all about. You know, you hear the Lord's, uh, Lord's Prayer or the 23rd Psalm repeated, you know, at funerals and all kinds of occasions and all kinds of things. But uh, there's a lot in both of them. And tonight we're going to concentrate on the 23rd Psalm. So why don't you just go over there. You, some of you can probably repeat it without even looking at it. But we're going to go and we're going to look at it phrase by phrase tonight. Uh, something the Lord's put on my heart about last week. And so, I mean, I've, I've woke up in the middle of the night and woke up early in the mornings. And, and before I went to sleep at night, just getting little bits and pieces of this here and there. And uh, so we're just going to say we're going we're gonna to break this down. And, you know, I've always thought, uh, it seems like I'm a little loud. Um, I've always thought that, you know, I could see David, the great shepherd boy, sitting on the hills with his sheep writing this psalm. And yet today when I was looking through some commentaries and things, it seems that David probably wrote this in the latter part of his life. After he had been a shepherd boy, after he had been a king, after he had been um, an outcast, a runaway, uh, a, a somebody who was running for his life, a man of war, uh, a man of great sorrow in some areas, a man who made great mistakes. And yet, at the end of his life, he could come back and he could sit down and he could pen this psalm with the confidence of a man who finally, once and for all, had come to a realization of who the source of his life was, who he could depend on at all times and in all things. You know, and uh, I don't know why I'm about to cry about that, but you know what? We need to get to that place where we understand who God is and what he is to us and know that he is the very source of our life, that we can depend on him, we can trust in him, we can rely on him, we can be confident in him all the time in all areas of our lives, no matter what's going on. And so David sat down and he penned this, and you can begin to see his heart in some of these areas. And uh, it just started off, you know, here, I mean, this very first line, you see one of the redemptive names of God. You know, there's seven of them. And this very first line of Psalm 23, he shows us that, that he is Jehovah Ruah, the Lord, my shepherd. And so just starting this off, it says, the Lord, I'm going to just read the whole thing, then we'll come back and we'll break it down. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Can you see just, just a man who's come to a place of just peace in his own life? He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I was reading this today, I thought I could see so much in it. David, a man of the Old Testament, writing this, and me, a person of, the, of a new covenant, being able to take this and translate it into New Testament reality. Hallelujah. And just go back, I'm just beginning. It said, the Lord is my shepherd. Number one, the Lord is. The Lord is. Hebrews says that he that comes to the Lord must, must come believing that he is. You know, you have to understand, first and foremost, that God is. He is alive. He is everywhere. He is everything. He exists. He is. When Moses went to Pharaoh, God said, you tell him, I am that I am. And he still is the great I am. But, you know, we start off with that place of knowing that the Lord is. He is. He exists he lives here because of Jesus in my heart. I am his child. He is my father. The Lord is. And it goes on, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. It doesn't say he is the shepherd or a shepherd. He said he's my shepherd. You and I have to individually and personally accept and depend and rely on the fact that he's my shepherd. It doesn't matter who else says what. It doesn't matter who else does what. It doesn't matter who else thinks what. He is my shepherd. In the face of all, of everyone who even doesn't even claim there is a God, he is still my shepherd. My shepherd. You have to take ownership of that. You will never live a successful Christian life if you don't take ownership that he is my shepherd. Not just somebody's, my mama's shepherd, my granny's shepherd, my husband's shepherd, somebody else. It's, he's mine. It has to be personal. It has to be real. It has to be, he has to be mine. Above all else, he has to be mine. It goes on, he is my shepherd. You know, Jesus we know is the chief shepherd. But a shepherd is someone who watches the flock. That's his job. He watches the, shop, the, the sheep because he cares about the sheep. You know, I, I, I was reading today and it says sheep usually come under the, the auspices of being an object of property. You and I are God's property. If we are born again, he's already bought us. And it went on to say that the sheep being an object of property is of great worth to the owner and is often bought at a great price. Every sheep is valuable. Doesn't it talk about the fact that when one is lost, that the shepherd will go out and leave the flock right here and go looking for the one who's lost. It tells me that every single one of his sheep is valuable and precious to him. And he will do whatever it takes to go seek you out, even when you're wandering off, even when you have found yourself a little lost, even when you are intentionally lost. Sometimes we just kind of, you know, absent-mindedly get lost but he'll come out looking for us because to him we're of great worth, great value, and he paid a great price for us. He cares for me as a shepherd. He watches over me as the shepherd. He preserves my life as the shepherd. 
you know, and he gave, he gave Jesus to be the, the great shepherd, and then the great shepherd in turn turned around, and for your benefit and my benefit, he made pastors shepherds so that we could have somebody in front of us, somebody that we could put our hands on, that we could talk to physically, see with our own physical eyes, a shepherd. He put us in the middle of a sheepfold, the local church, and gave a shepherd to watch over us, to care for us, to protect us, to defend us if he has to, to preserve us. You think sometimes, well, the pastor's being awfully hard on me. You know, he's being kind of, kind of, he's really in our face about something. He's trying to preserve your life. That's what the shepherd does. A shepherd doesn't come along and just pat you on the back and say, oh, you sweet thing, aren't you just wonderful? Oh, now, sweetie, that's not a good idea. Sometimes he says, that's nonsense, and you better stop it right now. Sometimes he makes us come face-to-face with our shortcomings, with our failings, with our rebellion even. He's trying to preserve your life. That is the job of the shepherd. And isn't it wonderful to know that the one who is the shepherd and who passed that that responsibility to Jesus, the great shepherd, and then he in turn passed that responsibility again to his under-shepherds, which is your local pastor. Ah, that's the heart of a shepherd to the, to the extreme. It's like an exponential kind of care. He cared so much that he just kept, he just kept making sure, making sure, making sure, making sure that you were cared for, you were well protected, that you were loved. Hallelujah. It goes on, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't lack. I won't lack anything. It's, I don't lack because, just because there is a shepherd, I don't lack because I've chosen to be shepherded. You know, a shepherd can only do so much if the sheep insists on running away all the time. If the sheep ins- insists on not, not doing what they need to do, not going the direction they need to go. But I don't lack because I'm willing to have a shepherd and willing to be shepherded. But it says, I shall not want. You can, you can say, that means I won't lack for any good thing. There's a verse over in Psalm 34, which you're close by, so just turn over there. Psalm 34, verse 10, it said, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 68, 19 talks about the fact that he daily loads us up with benefits. That's good things. Psalm 103 talks about forgetting not all of his benefits. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing. Well, when no good thing is withheld, that means we have no lack. It means we have no want. Means, which means we are, we are cared for, that we are supplied in all things. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says that he cares about us watchfully and cares for us affectionately. Well, if he cares for us and he watches over us, there's nothing we could possibly lack. There's no area of want in our lives. If there's an area of lack or an area of want in our lives, it's because we're not looking to the good shepherd the one who's already supplied it all. 
He's there to take care of our needs. He's there to, to take care of us in every area of our lives, no matter what it is. You immediately think of something that's monetary, something that's physical. You know, sometimes maybe it's just something more than that. Maybe it's just, uh, Lord, I, I, I need a good friend. I need somebody who will listen today. I need somebody just to, to come along and encourage me. I just I, whatever, whatever the need is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. No good thing will he withhold from me. None. Because why? He is my shepherd. Let's go on. In verse 2, it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. That phrase, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, suggests the place of his constant presence. Green pastures, it's a place of feeding. It's a place where you're well supplied. It's a place of ease. It's a place that's always fresh. It's always full. It's always rich. It's always sweet. It's always full of rest. Green pastures. What do you think? When you think of a green pasture, what do you think of? Something that's lush. Something that's, that's soft. You know, you go out to a field, you know, in, the, in midsummer when everything is all brown and dry and the grass is crunchy and crackly. That's not green pastures. Green pastures is something soft and, and just, it, it just invites you to come and, to just, and just to lay down. It invites you to, to come and just be at ease, to take a rest, have a picnic, you know, spread a cloth, have a picnic, whatever you want to do. But it's a place where there is abundant supply for you to feed on. Green pastures. I mean, you put a horse in a green pasture, he's going to eat all day long. Put a cow in a green pasture, he's going to eat all day long. He wants you to be in a place where you're, going to, you're ready to eat all day long. Just feast on the things that he's provided for you. And then it says, he, he lays, it says, uh, um, Psalm 4, verse 8. You're close by. Just go over there. After a while, an animal who's in a pasture will actually find themselves, they just want to lay down. I passed a field just the other day. And it was just so pretty this time of year, so green, so lush. And uh, I looked and half the cows were laying down. I thought, well, they've eaten, I guess, all that they want for right this minute, so now they're going to rest a little while. Just going to take their ease. Then they're going to get back up and eat again. See, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to come into a place of green pastures. He wants you to eat and feed for a while. Then he wants you to just lay down and relax and just digest what you've been feeding on. He wants you just to take it in and just, and, just, and just chew it over and over and over and over. Get all the good out of it that you can. And then get up and feed some more. He leads me into that place. Hallelujah. He makes me to lie down. Okay, we, we were going to Psalm 4, verse 8, and I, and I just left it. Hang on. Let me get back there. Psalm 4, verse 8. It says, I will both lay me down and sleep. For you, Lord, only make me to dwell in safety. The green pasture is a place of safety. That green pasture is a place where you can just be at your ease because you know nothing can get to you because of what you've been feeding on. 
It's a place where you're protected. It's a place where you can just, just relax. Just relax. It goes on here. It says, um, he leads me beside the still waters. Listen, he leads you. He leads you. The shepherd leads the flock. It's our choice to follow him. We can choose to follow. We can choose not to. But you have to understand that where he leads you is a place of wonder. It's a place full of blessing. He leads me beside the still waters. That is a place of peace. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of a troubled world, in the midst of times that seem so unsettling, he leads me beside the still waters. You know, I, I take that into the New Testament knowing that the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of me, and especially for Spirit-filled believers, can tap into the still waters anytime they want. You and I have the ability to speak the name of Jesus just by saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. There's, there's, a, there's an anointing that comes with that name. There's a peace that comes with that name. There's, there's, a, there's a way that situations just begin to settle down because of that name. Because why? Every, at, at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. Every knee. I don't care what it is. Every knee must bow to that name. When I speak the name of Jesus, peace comes into the room. Peace comes into the situation. And I can go further than that because I'm filled with the Spirit and I can tap into a peace that only another Spirit-filled person will understand. You know, it talks about the fact that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. He wants us to be led into that place of peace no matter what the situation is that's, that's surrounding us. There could be a tornado just surrounding you, you know, so to speak, and you can find a place of peace. You can find a place of still waters in the midst of all of that. He provides me with a place that I can tap into of calm, of reassurance, of confidence. John 14, 27 says, Jesus said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. He didn't take it with him when he went. He left it here with us. He who intends for us to enjoy it, intends for us to bask in it, intends for us to use it, intends for us to enjoy and, and never be troubled by what this world brings into our lives because we live in a society in a place that's full of trouble, that's full of, of, of chaos, that's full of turmoil, but that doesn't have to be us. You know, we can live in a different place altogether. Though physically we're in this world, we can live out of a different place. We can live in that place that is the place of still waters. You know, a shepherd leads, and today I was thinking about this, and it just occurred to me that, you know, what's the difference between a sheep and a cow? One you have to lead, the other you have to herd. So a shepherd leads the sheep, and a cowboy has to drive the herd. What did they call that years ago? A cattle drive. You know, they just have to be driven. And that's the problem with this world is they're like a bunch of cows. They're driven, and, and the cowboy that's driving them is one who doesn't really care about them. He doesn't care if they're, if they're well-fed, well-tended. He just wants to get them where he wants them to go. 
He's got an ultimate conclusion, an ultimate destination for him, and he doesn't care how hard he has to ride him to get him to where he wants him to go. And yet the shepherd, on the other hand, leads his sheep into a place where he constantly is leading them in a path that will, that will keep them protected and sustained and nurtured all along the journey. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Turn the page here. You know, it, it, it makes sense that we, that we understand that he'll lead us back to a place of peace when trouble has come. You know, sometimes we can let go of our peace so easily, but he'll lead us back to that place if we'll let him. Uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, for, for Pastor and me both, you know, in dealing with, you know, health issues years ago, you know, there were times, I, and I will tell people to this, to this day, if you're facing something that is, that is severe in your life, uh, you know, a drastic diagnosis of some kind, one of the things that you have to do, one of the things you have to be most careful about is maintaining your peace. Because if you don't, the enemy will get in there. And once he's in there, he will try to destroy your peace. And he'll try to bring fear in. And fear and faith can't be in the same place. Faith comes when you're in a place of peace. Faith remains when you remain in a place of peace. And so God will always lead us right back. You know, though we kind of stray away from that, or maybe the enemy kind of blindsides us with something, just, just depend on him. He leads me. He leads me back. He gives me a place beside the still waters at any time, in any way. Verse 3, he restoreth my soul. Hallelujah. He pulls me back into line with his word. You know, our soul man, Pastor was talking about this on Sunday, our soul man is involved in, in, this, in this outer, outer realm. It, it, it really kind of is our, is our mind, our emotions, our intellect, you know, and for, this, and for these purposes, we, could, we might could even say our bodies in some ways. You know, this physical realm that we contact, he restores us with his word. He helps bring a new perspective into our lives and helps keep our perspective straight. He restores it. You know, there was, there was a time when man thought just like God thought. Oh, really? Yeah. It didn't last long. It was in the Garden of Eden. Adam was a man just like God, created in his image. He was a man who conversed with God face to face. A man who, who walked with God in the cool of the evening every day. He thought like God. He acted like God. You know, he has the mind of God. You know, God wants to restore that to us. And it's possible. Doesn't Romans talk to us about renewing our minds with the word? That's how he's going to restore us back to that place where we act and we think like him. You know, the Hebrew here for the word he, for, he restores means he brings it back. And it likened it to two things, two areas. From its errors or wanderings, and number two, into the body out of which it was departing and fainting. He revives and comforts me. Psalm 27, 13 says, I had fainted. I would have lost heart 
unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's an example of restoring my soul. Do you see that every single day when you're tempted to see something other than the way God sees it? When you're tempted to think something other than the way God thinks? You just go to the Word and you see His goodness or you recount His goodness in your life. You go over just naming the benefits, naming the blessings, seeing what God's done for you in the past, seeing His goodness will pull you back to a place where your soul is restored and refreshed. When it comes to your body, Jeremiah 30 verse 17 says, I will restore health to thee. He wants to restore what's been taken. You know, when, when we let our minds wander off into the devil's territory, you know, we have, we have let ourselves be contaminated. I think that's a good word, contaminated. He wants, a, he wants to help clean, uh, clean up the contamination and bring us back into the purity of the life that we live in him. There is a place to do that, a purity of the life of God in us, not contaminated and defiled by this word, by this world, but brought back to a place of restoration of the way God sees us and the way he wants us to be. You know, he spiritually, you know, our spirit man is perfect already, but the rest of this existence has got some work. It's got to have done to it. And he's always ready to work with us to restore in us spirit, soul, body, you know. Just restore it. You know, you, there are times you just, you, you have a problem with, with making a connection, you know, with what God's saying and what's going on. Listen, let go of this world long enough to grab a hold of what God has already said and what he's already done, what he's already revealed to you. You know, you don't have to know much. You don't have to know much. But the more you know, the better it should be and the easier it should be to get back to a place where you can say, he restores my soul. He restores it. And we, we have to look at that as a daily existence because the world's always trying to drain out of us, to take out of us what the Word has put into us. And so we have to maintain that at all times. It goes on, it says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me. Again, God doesn't drive you. He leads you. And the thing about leading you is that you have to make a choice that you're willing to be led. You have to make a choice. You know, there are just, there are just times where we just kind of, like I said before, we absentmindedly, you know, go off, you know, on a tangent. We all go off and do something that we know is not the right thing to do. Sometimes we do it in spite of the fact that we know it's the wrong thing to do. But God's ready to lead you in the paths of righteousness. But you have to be willing to follow. Every single day, you and I are confronted with a different, all these different paths that we could take. We make choices every single day. We think sometimes that, okay, this is a big choice. This is not such a big choice. But you don't ever really know what a, what a difference a little choice done wrong can make. 
I, I see people whose lives are shipwreck. And it wasn't just one big choice that shipwrecked their life. It was a series of little choices, a series of little compromises, a series of things that at first they didn't realize what they had done, but once they did realize it, they chose not to undo. You know, I can never, I'll look at people sometimes and and, uh, you run across people from time to time who are very bitter and very angry about the life that they're living. And it's hard to say to someone, your life is a result of the choices that you made. Because to them, it's everybody else's fault. The trouble that they're in today is somebody else's fault. Listen, nobody makes you make a choice. Oh, well, I had no choice. Yeah, you did. You did. You know, anybody remember the old Flip Wilson show? Besides, you know, just a few old people. The devil made me do it. (laughs) Listen, the devil didn't make you do it. He presented an option and you took it. (laughs) But there are paths that that we go. We have multiple paths we can follow every single day. We tend to think of paths as, as these big, huge, you know, roads, you know, that we could, we could go down, you know, that, that just means the direction of our... No, it's, like I say, it's an everyday thing. It's everyday choices. When we were in Hawaii in, a few years ago, we had gone over and met up with Steve and Christy and the boys over there. And um, so we were, that year we were on the big island. And, uh, of course, that's where the volcano... For those of you who don't know anything about Hawaii, that's where the, that's where the volcano is. And uh, so we had we'd done a lot of exploring. Oh, my goodness. We'd been all kinds of places. We had two Jeeps, and, man, we went off-roading. They weren't supposed to go off-road with them. You know, we went off-road all the time. And we had been exploring and exploring, and we'd heard about this green sand beach. Anybody ever seen a green sand beach? I hadn't either. So we decided we'd go find this green sand beach. We've seen black sand beaches, gray sand beaches, red sand beaches. And so we decided we're going to go find this green sand beach. It's on the southernmost tip of the big island of Hawaii. And so uh, we, had to, we had a map and we had, had uh, gotten some, I don't know, gotten some direction from somebody else, you know, about where to, some little tidbits about how to find all this. And we got down there and uh, it was quite amazing that you had to go through this big, long, unpaved area to get to the green sand beach. Now, you get off the off road, and suddenly there are all these trails that people like us in Jeeps had mapped out for you. And some of them were so so steep that we it's like, are you gonna turn me over in this Jeep? Am I gonna get out of this Jeep alive? You know, it was a harrowing experience to say the least. Well, this one got too rutted over here, so somebody had started another one over here. Well, then that one got too rutted, and somebody started another one over here. Well, we know here we are in the green sand beach. is supposed to be over there somewhere. So we're just kind of weaving our way through all these, just trying to find a path that wasn't quite as rutted and not quite as steep and not try, quite as washed out as, as this one. And so we, we, we gradually, over time, we, we made it over to this area. And, okay, now we have to stop the vehicle and we have to walk just a little ways over to where this green sand beach is kind of this kind of hollowed out area where the sea is over here and I don't know exactly all the reason why it's green but it was green 
You know, so we saw it. Now, by this time, because we'd taken a while to get there, and then it had taken a while to navigate all these different little tracks, I mean, they were everywhere. I mean, we, I mean you're, you're not talking just one or two. We're talking about tracks everywhere. I mean, paths everywhere. It would have been nice to have had a guide, somebody to lead me in the paths of the green sand beach. So anyway, we finally managed to get over there. The guys get out. They go over to see the green sand beach. But here's the kicker. This is a dark place, and it's about to get dark. The sun is going down. And now we have to turn around and find our way back to where we're. Now, these things, you ever been out where somebody's had uh, dune buggies or, or what's the other little ATVs and stuff. I mean, you ever been in a place like at the, at the beaches, you know, where, where people have made all kinds of tracks and trails through the dunes and all this kind of, that's what this was like. I mean, you had, I mean, you had no idea where you were at this point. There was no cell phone reception. You could not, you know, look at, you know, get your phone out and put a GPS in there. That wasn't going to work. And it's getting, it's, it's getting later. I'm going, guys, come on. We've got to go. I'm ready to panic by this time, you know. And uh, so we start back. And again, we're having to figure out the path. Which path do we take? This one is like it goes way down. And then, and then to get back up over here, we're going to just be almost perpendicular. How are we going to do this? And, and I'm just praying, Lord, help him. Lord, help us. Lord, help him. I'm going to kill him when we get out of here. I'm going to kill him when we get out of here. I'm going to kill him when we get out of here. If we get out of here alive tonight, I'm going to kill him for getting me into this. But somehow we managed to navigate our way back to the actual road. Whew, thank you, Jesus. Now, along the way, we found a young man and a young woman walking, and it's almost dark. They had left their car where the pavement ended and had walked through all that area to get to the green sand beach. And now they had no flashlight. They had nothing. It was a couple, yeah, it was a couple of miles from the pavement to the actual green sand beach. And so they had been walking, and they weren't even sure they were walking in the right direction anymore. They were totally lost. So we picked them up, and we stuffed them into, into one of the Jeeps. With it. We had two Jeeps, and, you know, and we, so we, we stuffed them in there. They were, they were, they were, they were in tears, which is what I was almost by this time. They were just so grateful to see another person. This was just a deserted area. Anybody in their right minds would not have tried to do what we were doing. <laughs> but I was with, I was with my, my spouse and my child who were equally as adventurous, and they were determined we were going to get to this green sand beach. So we did finally navigate our way back. But I'm telling you, at any point we could have found ourselves lost. I mean, I grant you that they have a good sense of direction, but I also grant you that I was praying really hard that God would lead us out of that place. So I'm not sure which worked the better. I have a tendency to think my prayers worked better than their sense of direction. But thankfully, we got out of there. You know, this, this young couple was so lost, and they were so grateful that we had come along, and we would picked them up, and we would gotten them back to their car. They were just, I mean, you could just tell the relief that was all over them. Listen, he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness. You don't have to panic. God knows where he's going. He knows the right direction. You just need to trust him 
and not panic when he leads you. He has got it mapped out. He's already surveyed the territory. He knows what to do. He knows where to go. And he wants you to just follow his lead. Let him lead you out of the places that have gotten you entrapped in anxiety, trapped in fear, trapped in, in ungodliness. Sometimes people get themselves so far out into an ungodly lifestyle, even though they're born again, that they don't know the way back. He will lead you in paths of righteousness. He will lead you. You know, it's, it's, I go back to Psalm, what is it, Psalm 119. It says, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. If you maintain the word in your life, let his word be the lamp unto your feet and the light to your path. He'll never lead you wrong. And it says, for his name's sake, he'll always be the good shepherd no matter what your actions are. He's, he remains the good shepherd. And because he remains the good shepherd, it brings glory to him. Your righteousness or your lack of thereof. I mean, I'm talking about righteousness as in his style of living. It doesn't affect the fact that he's still the good shepherd. He will always be the good shepherd, always remain the good shepherd. I was looking at a commentary today called The Treasury of David, and he, I, I wrote this quote down. It said, It is to the honor of our great shepherd that we should be a holy people, walking in the narrow way of righteousness, if we be so led and guided, we must not fail to adore our heavenly shepherd's care. Isn't that good? I can read it again. It is to the honor of our great shepherd that we should be a holy people, walking in the narrow way of righteousness. It is narrow. It is narrow. There is no room for compromise. There is no room for, well, you know, I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter. The way is narrow. It is to the honor of our great shepherd that we should be a holy people, walking in the narrow way of righteousness. If we be so led and guided, we must not fail to adore our heavenly shepherd's care. If we're led and we're guided by him, it's only because he cares for us. It's only because he has led us in the right way and that we've chosen to follow. Hallelujah. Verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yea, though I walk through. Do you see the context of this? Yea, though I walk through through, there's action on our part, there is a continual movement on our part, we're going to walk through with a resolve not to stop, not to sit down, not to give up, and not to give in. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So many people will take this, this verse, and they'll liken it under, under, some, under someone who is facing death. 
maybe somebody who's about to die. But I'm telling you what, death is all around us. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death every single day because this world is full of nothing but death on every hand and every lifestyle that's lived that's not according to the, to the word of God. That's death. And we're walking through that valley every single day. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's a shadow. You and I are partakers of the same victory that Jesus won when he won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. Nothing can touch you. You are alive forevermore. And you're walking through a place of death, but you're walking through a shadow of that death because the real thing has been totally annihilated because of what Jesus has done. I, I want you to know, shadow is not reality. Shadow is not reality. You ever saw the cartoons, remember the cartoons, of this big, huge shadow on the wall, and it was just this little bitty mouse? That's the picture of the devil, folks. He's this little bitty mouse who's casting a real big shadow, and we're all afraid of his dumb shadow. Don't do that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's only can be able to cast a shadow because he's already lost his victory. Death has already lost its sting. Death has already been, been overthrown. There's been a victory over death. Listen, dark is the, is, is the absence of light, and shadow is just a darker surface. But did you know that if you hold a matchstick up with a flame on it, it casts no shadow? Did you know that? You know why? The flame doesn't make a shadow because it itself is the source of the light. Ah, what's the light? What's the light? What's the light? There's no shadow because this is the light. And you are the light of the world. You don't have to be afraid of shadows. There's the, the, the light source lives on the inside of you. Hallelujah. It says, I will fear no evil. Listen, you make up your mind, I'm not going to be afraid of anything. Why? Because I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Psalm 112 says, his heart is fixed. Trusting in the Lord, his heart is established. That's the key. When my heart is fixed on the fact that I am a victor, I walk in victory every single day that the greater one is living on the inside of me. I am more than a conqueror. I have no reason to fear, especially when I consider the fact that I've just been walking through a valley of shadows. It's just shadows, just shadows. I remember as a kid, you know, having to go outside you know, to get something, you know, maybe out in the yard, you know, and you're, and you're just kind of, <gasps> what's in the shadows? What's in the shadows? What's in the shadows? Nothing but the devil who's defeated. That's what's in the shadow. Hallelujah. It says, for you are with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Matthew, Jesus said, I am with you always. You're never alone. Never alone. You should never allow yourself to say, I'm so lonely. If you're born again, 
There's a party going on on the inside, folks. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are already there. It doesn't take but a couple of people to make a party. You can have a pretty good party with just two. And you've got more than that. Jesus lives on there. The Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you. You don't need to be lonely. You should never say you're lonely because you've already got somebody with you all the time. He said he'd never leave you. He would never forsake you. He's there always. So don't say that. You know, well, I just need somebody. You've got what you need on the inside. Now, I understand that, you know, there are times when, you know, we just would like to have a friend or something. Well, God can supply that. Just believe God for a friend. He that wants to be, have a friend must be friendly. It's some people's problem. They're not very friendly, so nobody wants to be friends. You ever had somebody that, you know, was want to keep everybody at arm's length? I mean, they didn't say that. They didn't physically do that. But when you'd walk up to them and go, oh, okay, never mind. There's, you know, we'll give you your space. Okay, no problem. Got it. But he who wants a friend must be friendly. I don't have a friend. Make a friend. Make a friend. Amen. It says, goes on, it says, uh, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The purpose of the shepherd's rod and staff is to guide and to defend. The Amplified says the rod protects and the staff guides. You know, shepherd's crook, you know. He'll, he'll reach over and he'll you know, kind of prod sheep, you know. He'll guide you. Okay, over there, like when he's trying to get them into a pen, he'll just kind of... Use it just gently to guide them into the, into the stalls. But I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, thy rod and thy staff. To me, it comes back to the word. And I can see where it can be a combination of the written word and the spoken word. The guide, the Holy Spirit that's on the inside, the staff, God. The rod, he protects us. He protects us with the word. You know, when we, we safeguard our minds with the word. We safeguard our lives with the word. He protects us with the word. In Ephesians, it, gives, it tells us all about the armor of God. That's the protection that he's given us. Look at it real quick. Go to, to Ephesians real fast. Ephesians 5. Starting in verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins gird about with truth, what? The truth of the word. Having on the blessed plate of righteousness your right standing with God. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, the shield of faith wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Man, that's protecting right there. It covers all aspects. Hallelujah. Go on to verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me. Well, if you're going to prepare a table, what does that mean? There's stuff on it. You know, the, the Samaritan woman came to Jesus, and, he, and she wanted him to heal her daughter. And he's going, oh, dogs don't get the children's bread. She's going, even the, even the dogs, the little dogs get the crumbs off the table. She knew there was a table set. She could figure that out. 
there was a table that was full of all such good things that there were crumbs falling off of it that she could enjoy. Listen, God's got a table prepared for us that's full of good things. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We, there's a table set. There's a table of forgiveness. It's got forgiveness on it. It's got victory on it. It's got joy on it. It's got peace on it. It's got healing on it. You name it, it's there. You ever been to somebody's house who fixed a meal? I mean, it's just like it's covered with, I mean, where did you find time to do all of this? I don't know. And it's like, I mean, you, your eyes just look from one thing to another. Where do I start? Where do I start? Where do I start? It's kind of like our fellowships. You know, you got, you got what, two or what? At Christmas time, we have two runs of four eight-foot tables. That makes it 64 feet of food. And you look at it and you go, good Lord. I mean, that's a lot of food. Listen, that is nothing compared to the table God has set. Nothing compared to the, the table that he wants us to partake of. And if there's a table in front of you full of good things, then the idea is to partake of it. There is nothing worse than you cooking a meal for somebody and putting it on the table and nobody wants to eat it. Nobody thinks enough of it to eat it. They're too busy, too distracted to come eat it. My philosophy is if it's hot, I'm eating. If you're not ready, that's too bad I'm eating without you. Listen, you should get that way where the things of God are concerned. I don't care who's eating or who's not eating. I'm partaking now, right now, right now. The table's full. It's ready. I'm eating. I'm eating now. Don't wait for somebody else. You get to the table, pull up a chair, and have yourself a good time. You can't overindulge at God's table. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> there, there are things I'd like under cheesecake, you know, that's on his table. And, and he won't mind if I just keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. I can have more than one piece of healing. I can have one more, more than one piece of anything on that table. He doesn't mind at all because he's put it out there for me to enjoy. Hallelujah. He says, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. A man by the name of Matthew Poole, he said this. He said, they, my enemies, is who he's talking about, seeing and envying and fretting at it, but not being able to hinder it. In the presence of your enemies, God wants you to feast at his table. Ignore them. Ignore the enemy. Just enjoy. And he, he's just, he hates it. He hates it. He hates the fact that you're enjoying something that, he, that he's not a part of. You're enjoying something that, that he couldn't stop you from consuming. You're enjoying something that he has no part of, that he wishes weren't there, that he wishes he could get off that table, he wishes he could destroy, but he's envying, he's seeing, he's fretting, and he can't do a thing about it if you choose to partake of what's on that table. Hallelujah. Because over in Colossians it says, he's spoiled principalities and powers. They have no power over you anymore. Hallelujah. It goes on here in verse 5 it says, oh, let me go back to, go back to here, uh, to Psalm 23. Uh, you anoint my head with oil. Well, we know oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. He anoints you daily, daily. Daily, you need to get up in the morning. You know, when David was anointed king, they took a horn of oil and poured it up, and it just dripped down all over him, just saturated him. His head, his hair, his clothes, just saturated him. 
You know that's possible to get up every single morning and saturate yourself in the oil of the Spirit that He's poured out on you already. Get up praying in tongues. Get up and just spending time in the presence of God and that anointing, that oil will just flow, 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 flow all of you until you're just saturated with it. You anoint my head with oil. Ephesians 5, 8, 18 talks about be filled with the, with the Spirit, which we know means be being filled. Every day, every day, you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. It goes on and it says, my cup runs over. My life prospers in everything. Everything about my life is prospering. Well, not everything in my life is prospering, Pastor Angela. Well, it can if you understand that he's already said, my cup runs over because the Lord is my shepherd. When the Lord is your shepherd and you, and you actually get a hold of the fact that God is your shepherd and you understand the reality of the fact that he's a good God, he's already provided for you, then you understand that your cup runs over. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think. God doesn't want to just barely meet your needs. He doesn't want to take a glass and fill it up to here. He doesn't want to take the glass and fill it up to here. He wants to fill it so that it's running over, 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 and it's supplying somebody else. The verse we read around here so many times, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance as you, and you may always and under all circumstances, and whatever the need be, self-sufficient, requiring enough aid, requiring enough to, to require no aid or support, but furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. You're furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Once your needs are met, you're still furnished with enough to meet the other needs that come into your life. In verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely, absolutely, without a doubt. His goodness is the reason for his mercy. His blessings are every conceivable way and every area of my life. His goodness supplies my needs and his mercy blots out my sins. Ooh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Shall follow me. I went back to Deuteronomy 28.2 where it talked about the blessings shall overtake you. Listen, that's the kind of follow we're talking about. They're following to overtake you so that you are full of those goodness and full of his mercy. Then it's always, you know, just come on. Come on, goodness. Come on, mercy. Just, just heap it on. Just heap it on. Just heap it on. Come on. I, I, I'm willing to let you overtake me. Come on, overtake me. Overtake me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And he ends with, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oof. David made a determination. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will. I will. My personal choice, I have made up my mind. You need to make up your mind. That number one, the Lord is my shepherd. And, no, and lastly, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't mean when you just get to heaven. It means right here, right now. I will stay in the place that God has ordained that I walk in all the days of my life. And then when I'm done with this life, I will dwell in his actual house. 
forever. Amen. God is good. I'll leave you with this last verse. John 8, 35 said, A servant abides not in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Are you a son, a daughter? Then you can abide forever. So I want you to just take a look at Psalm 23 in a little different way. When you start to read it, I want you to just look at all the new creation realities that David was, you, you can see where he was pointing to some of them, not even knowing what they were. A place of peace, a place of rest, a place of provision, a place of goodness, a place of mercy, a place where my Father watches out for me every single day, cares about me, cares for me. Hallelujah. Because why? The Lord is At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.